Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Bear Guys and Tua T Fitness. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Final Destination Edition. My name is Michael Schantz. I am from the How Dare You Awards. With me is America's treasure, Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. Oh, Mom, not tampons. (laughs) I have a note in my notes that says, worst piece of shit mom ever. Yeah, well, she is. However, that, that does that does kind of continue um, something that I don't think we talked about in the last movies, but uh, definitely in in two, possibly in three, the relationships between parents and children in this series are way too open. Right. Yeah. In Final Destination Two, there's a kid who makes a joke to his mom about a dentist sexually assaulting him. Right. And then there's this cut uh, the, uh, when they're getting on the road trip at the beginning of the movie, uh, one of the one of the teenage girl's friends is joking to her dad that they're all gonna yes. go off and have sex and have sex, right? And if, if, if even you know if even if that that was there as the possibility of a joke, I would be like, fuck that, you are not getting in that car. That's exactly go to your right. room right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, trip canceled so th- this movie is an outlier in a lot of ways but it's on the money when it comes to uh this far too sexually transparent uh relationships between parents and children absolutely and well i'll save it speak like just speaking to the moment about the tampons because this mom listeners is stuffing tampons into kids ears because they're at a noisy nascar race right and so like if there's nothing else in your purse and you're worried about <laughs> your kids getting damaged eardrums, yeah. All right, you stuff some tampons, rip them in half, and stuff them in there. But what I take objection to is she stares at them, points at them, and laughs at them when the tampons are hanging out of their ears, and that's what makes her a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, I and we've not even seen the worst of her parenting. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, she 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 ditches uh, her kids for a, um, a a kind of spa day, um, right? And uh, jeopardizes. She says she de- jeopardizes everyone's life in the salon. Yeah, for yeah, through exactly. her bad parenting. <laughs> well, of course, listeners, we are now talking about the final destination. A movie that was not the final destination in the series. <laughs> a 2009 film directed by David R. Ellis, who is back once again, Tom, from Final Destination 2. We spoke on that podcast, of course, about how he directed Cellular and Snakes on a Plane and other delightful comedies. And we spoke at length in the Final Destination 2 podcast about what a comic genius he is. Yeah. And, you know, James Wong comes, comes back in, in number three, it kind of says, we're putting a stop to that shit. 
very much. But David R. Ellis says, oh, no, no, my friend. He comes back for four or the final destination, rather. And he does it again, but to me, far less successfully than in number two. Yeah, I, I this is um, this. Uh, I I I got a. It was it was disappointing to me having made the argument that you know he was in complete control of Final Destination Two as right, a comedy. Yeah, because I, I do see I see aspects of that here, but uh, the whole thing is kind of muddied, and you know we'll talk about what what might be holding them back. I think three D's got a lot to do with it. Um, yes, but something something here is not quite clicking in the same way. Well, uh, you know what's d- despite the fact that you know very early on in the movie an anvil falls on someone and it makes a Looney Tunes cartoon sound effect. Yes. So you know I was I was enthusiastic at that point, and then the rest <laughs> of the movie was a big letdown. <laughs> I was so enthusiastic at first. <laughs> well, again though. Speaking to what we, I think, talked about in our introduction to this the series, we, we talked about how all of these movies are successful, though. This movie had a budget of $40 million, made 66.4 in the USA, cumulatively in the world, $186.1 million. I mean, another, another money grab, you know, sacks of money with dollar signs on it. Yeah, and and um, this one doesn't. It doesn't. The success of this one doesn't surprise me so much. I feel like it is a movie that is trying to capitalize on every leisure trend of the moment. Yeah, totally. You know, it's made in three D. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot of uh, terrible CGI. Um, it's, right. It begins a terrible CGI in three D. Yes. It begins in a um, in a at a race car track, and uh, the the music is predominantly death metal. So just think think right. of like all the most awful aspects of this year in history. Yeah, this movie speaks to all of them. <laughs> to all of them. Yeah, as though it's it's what the audience wants, which is the funniest thing to me. You know, <laughs> I, I believe in a previous podcast I've called this movie Hick fodder. And maybe that was a little right. that that was a little ungenerous, but ah, uh, um, uh, but probably accurate. <laughs> yeah, Pan- pandering for for sure. Yes. So, well, let's start from the top because this one takes place, like you said, at the NASCAR race car track. Yeah. Which is a bit of a departure for the series. They all usually involve. And this still involves transportation, but it's for your viewing pleasure. Usually everybody is writing something they have to get off of right. in all the other sequels. And in this one, they're passive participants watching. So did that work for you even? or uh, it's, it's semi-worked for me. Actually, you know, I, I, we, we both prefer... This is our least... Both of our least favorite. Yes, right. Um, and I think we both agreed that Final Destination 5 is our second favorite. Yeah. And yet And I, this one this one is worse than the others for me by yeah. a country mile. Yeah, I, I agree. However, in terms of the opening set piece, uh I think this movie has already got the edge on 5, which begins with a uh a business retreat. So, it's more it's more exciting than that. <laughs> um, but I, but not the not the accidents itself though I just I, don't I, know if... I completely and I think the the, the, okay. big, the big problem that I have is 
if you're going to go to this trouble of staging, um, you know, a giant car crash, have all this stunt work, why would you then drown it in bad CGI? Right. In the way that they do here. I think that, to me, is the, the point at which, you know, all that great, all that great capital that Final Destination 3 builds up purely by staging the action correctly right is kind of missing here for me well and not just that because not just from say a bad cgi standpoint but for me also from a not following the physics of the world <laughs> <laughs> standpoint as well because you know these characters are watching a nascar race yes. and we again we have a different blonde asshole <laughs> From the previous blonde assholes, right? That we've talked about in the previous movies and Final Dest, or rather, uh, in the uh, last summer last, editions. L- yeah, there was a yeah. last summer. There was a blonde, was, a, a, co- so, a common denominator asshole. Right. Yes, that's right. But and and you know, common denominator for as the actor as well, because the same actor was in both series. Yeah. But we have a new blonde asshole who is there only to watch car crashes. That's why he comes to these things. I also find it remarkable, by the way, that he's uh, bet $500 somehow on this race, (laughs) which is why he doesn't want to leave. And all of these things add up to just shitty ideas and shitty filmmaking. Yeah, I completely agree. Even in the worst NASCAR car crashes... Engine blocks don't leave the car and then impale people. <laughs> um, well, and the number of cars that manage to get up into the stands is astonishing, you know. I really, I, I mean, we, we've we've seen death work through proxy, but I don't think we've ever seen death, the Grim Reaper, work with this level of physical agency as we do in this sequence. Right. It, I mean, it is like there is an invisible man there you know, throwing T-shirts into the air. Right. And, you know, it's, 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 it feels, it feels like, you know, it it feels, feels manifested. It's not just pigeons or water and electricity (laughs) mixing. This feels like, you know, there's a, there's an invisible race of death people who are laying waste to this racetrack. But not just invisible because in the, first premonition there's also like these moments where our lead character who i'll just call brunette dude right um he you know there are moments where brunette dude looks up at the foundation of the actual racetrack and it's cracking and and that would be enough to get me to leave yeah yeah you know if i saw the stone structure crumbling i'd be like hey checking out Fuck you guys! I'm gone. Well, I mean, this 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 movie just compounds the issue I have with this entire series, which is that um, you know everything can be explained through non magical interventions. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like if this if this foundation is cracking, it's all over. You don't need death to help out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, it's it's definitely you know it's it's another one that's completely on the fence uh, between natural disaster and you know the Grim Reaper intervening. But 
I would say through the fence based on the first scene. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. But, you know, we, 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 we do get the return of... It, it's interesting that, you know, David R. Ellis is back because his weapon of choice for death is a lot of long, sharp instruments. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other characteristic is he likes a, he likes a death to have a punchline. And we, we, end, we end the sequence <laughs> yeah. on... Uh, an anvil falling on someone and then a, a, a just a, a a slight pause and then a then a little twitching leg of the well i don't which i think is a great i think it's a tire though oh, isn't that, it that one's the tire yeah the bad cgi tire yeah yeah um but there yeah there was both those things happen um but we right. end this you know before this is a cold open by the way as if you as if you needed to know as if you need, yeah, right. As if it wasn't plainly obvious that these movies are built on the biggest, most elaborate cold opens Every ever. Every movie we have seen has conservatively thirty minutes worth of cold opens before we get into the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Can I ask you one thing about this cold open? That yeah, you know, I mean, it's a small thing for me, but uh, but I. The uh, there's this moment where blonde asshole has got binoculars, but the binoculars are filled with Jim Beam. Yes, they're a secret yes. flask for booze, and mm-hmm. a man and his girlfriend. The girlfriend is actually the one who gets it from the tire when they all escape. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's it. But that man is. So when I first saw that couple, yeah. I thought it was a father and daughter. <laughs> that's how much older he is that like she looks really young much younger than she actually is he looks as old as yeah. he is because i ended up checking the actors in real life and one was you know over 40 and one was early 20s or something like that but when i first saw it i thought it was a father a daughter and she said hey can i see your binoculars and he goes well it's not really blah blah and he, she just grabs it and starts drinking the booze well, and I, 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 my one of my first notes was like, is the dad okay with her drinking? And does he even know that that it's filled with booze? What's going? And then all of a sudden he's got his arm around her. I'm like, what is this relationship? Well, and then I, it finally dawned on me that they're a couple. Well, you know, you know, I, given our earlier point about parents and children in this series, they could still conceivably be parent and child. Yeah, given how right. the relationships work in this series. Oh but that man! Is, uh... Well, not just this series, but this movie specifically too. Like this movie is a whole different animal compared to the others. Speaking of animals, <laughs> how do you feel about? I mean, I have a lot of opinions on this. Not all of them uh, are coherent. I'm still thinking about it. What do you think about introducing a white supremacist so early on? In the movie. Oh. What do you, how do you feel about um, Here's Here's my... I gotta find my... I said, here's my, here's my note. I said, <laughs> yikes, racism. <laughs> that pretty much covers all my thoughts. Um, yeah. So my, my first thought was... Because I'm trying to put my... So this is 2009, right? Am I... Yeah. Right. So I'm trying to put myself in that mindset. Whether I'm thinking, you know... it, it, it Basically, what we have is... Uh, a, uh, an African-American security guard, a neo-Nazi who starts 
who says, there goes the neighborhood when he passes and whistle it, whistles Dixieland. And whistling yeah. Dixie, yeah, So exactly. that's the situation. And they've immediately established this character conflict as race-based. Mm-hmm. So this is 2009. We have an African-American president. There are people out there, even at the time, sort of saying that means America is post-racial. So I like the fact that, yes, we have an African-American president, but you could still go to any kind of sporting event and you would get you know, slapped across the face with a big piece of racism anywhere you go in America. That I like. Well, and that's the thing. But what I, what I, I really started to, I did not like it. What I really started to object to as the movie went on was what is the function to the story or the theme of making this a race-based conflict? And because my note next to Yikes. net gain is, that you feel like you can throw around the N-word brazenly and casually in a movie, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty harmful. There, there is no, you know, you, you're, you're basically, you're putting racism out there, but you're not accounting for having it in your movie. You're exactly right. You it, it makes it seem as though they're not accountable for it because the note that I have next to Yikes Racism is completely not necessary. Yes. Because the character who's a racist, the reason he wants to harm right. the security guard, who, by the way, is McKelty Williamson, the one really great actor in this movie. Yeah, and it's... He, uh, you know, he he wants to get him because he wouldn't let him go back inside to try to save his wife. Now, if that's the basis of hating this man, that's enough all on its own. You don't need racism. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And much later on in the movie, we have another racial conflict between an old white man who is in a... It's like an assisted living facility, or is it a hospital? It's a hospital, right? Yes. Oh, I have a note. And, and a, yeah. a young Korean male nurse. And How many of your kind I killed in Korea? And again, I thought, you know... I, I, was... appre- I appreciate the fact that, you know, this is absolutely a, a confrontation that you... That, that could conceivably happen at this point in history. And, you know, we're... It's pointing out something that we're all painfully aware of now that some people might have been blinding themselves to at the time. However, where does it get us except to sort of have to sit through painful racist attacks on people with no story gain or no thematic gain? This is not a movie about racism. Right, exactly. It made me, like, the note that I have after that is... What's with David R. Ellis? Did he vote? Did he not vote for Obama? <laughs> but I, I mean, there's that sort of you. There's that kind of uh, vicarious thrill of us, like we, we've we've wrote something into the movie where we get to say the N word or we get to be racist. Like that's the level I think it's working at. 
Yeah, but you're like your movie is the final destination. Like, oh, I what think does it's, this I think it's a boring movie have to say about race. It's but yeah. I, I think a lot. I think a lot of a lot of you know, and you could even level this at people like Seth MacFarlane, or you sort of like, you know, under this banner of it's okay because we show a, a white supremacist being, you know, being terrible. Yeah. Well, and also we get to see him on fire being chased down the street which you know i'm up for that in any movie right yeah. and, and for the record life you want to do that on my street outside my house i will you know i'll, I'll give, pop my popcorn that's it i'll give you i'll give you the matches i'll you know whatever um but i do think that's a kind of that's the sort of smoke screen <laughs> pun intended yes uh, right a, a smoke screen for for uh, very irresponsible levels of filmmaking racism on screen yeah which absolutely. is a shame as you well, as you alluded to that it sort of it drowns Mecky uh, not Mecky Pfeiffer now I'm being racist it drains um <laughs> McKelty McKelty Williamson Williamson or Williamson 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 uh I realize I said Williamson or Williamson um <laughs> <laughs> um I'm just trying to resist the urge to call him Bubba because that makes me look like a racist. Uh, it drowns his part in something which is a kind of discourse that doesn't need to be there. That doesn't need to be there. Yeah, because he's got enough. Go- he's got enough going on with the alcoholism and the killing his yeah, family. Absolutely. And the, and the and the religious awakening and the Completely. day he spent trying to kill himself. Right. <laughs> this well, guy's got an arc already. We don't need. We, we got a huge arc for that character, and we're gonna get to that and the rest of this movie right after this, everybody. Uh, <laughs> what a downer of a first segment. It'll get. We'll talk more about this movie when we get back. Uh, stay tuned. Right after this. <laughs> I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back. Tom and I are here talking about the... 2009 film, The Final Destination. When we last left, we were talking about piece of shit moms and piece of shit CGI and piece of shit racists. It was. I'm, I'm going to throw. Uh, I I realize that when this is re- this this movie is released, this will all be a um, an, an either happily or sadly distant right. memory. But um, 
I'm going to Mike Pence this and, and go back to talking what about what we were talking about. <laughs> the, de- the vice presidential debate was last night for anyone listening, for us, at the time yeah. of recording. And uh, Mike Pence uh, liked to, liked to uh, talk, answer um, the question he was asked by answering the previous question that was asked. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the same. <laughs> and uh, cause you mentioned piece of shit, mom. And, uh, I think there's also a problem with a character who says a male character who says that's a lot of tampons for one. Yeah. Woman. Yeah. I have a note about that. Absolutely. I mean, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get on, get it on record that first of all, the amount of tampons she has is a perfectly appropriate amount of tampons for one completely woman. and totally. And I want to know, and I kind of want to know whether the screenwriter knows that, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether they're talking about the ignorance of the character on screen, or whether this is just the screenwriter's ignorance of uh, women, women's health issues. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Let's move on, Susan. Let's move on. <laughs> Actually, well, I guess we are moving on. I was going to say we're going back in time, but uh, for the course of the movie, I don't think so because we have the the uh, cold open followed by, of course, opening credits. <laughs> I want to talk about these opening credits because I think they're hysterical. Me too. Oh, man. They just crack me up. So if, if I didn't know what I was watching... Based solely on this title sequence, I would have thought that this was sports coverage. Right. <laughs> so for those that don't know, essentially the opening title sequence is a recap of every death that has happened in all of the movies via x-rays. That is, a, that is exactly <laughs> what it is. There is no other With way. With your sort of, uh, it looks like a Kind it's of grunge not, metal along with it, right? The grunge metal and um, like a kind of high again. The sporting analogy works because it's kind of like a highlight, yeah, of all the best set pieces and death in the series uh, so far. Uh, this won't be the last time we see one of these sequences, no. but um, it's certainly the it's certainly the worst uh, execution of it that we see. Absolutely. I, I would say. It's just kind of delightful, though, isn't it? In, in its stupidity. Well, you, the, well, we I mean, we haven't really talked too much about 3D yet. And I, I think like you, I didn't realize till very late on in the movie that this was a this was originally. I had forgotten it when we were talking about it in the in the in the minisode. Right. In the ranking. So I wasn't attribu- I wasn't attributing any of this bullshit to 3D, but now I look back at it, I think, well, yeah, of course, of course. I mean that that that's sort of, I mean it's not the only reason why it's an X-ray, but it's got to be a big reason that it's an X-ray and why things are flying towards the screen so shittily. Brazenly. Yeah. But also, you know, obviously we're going to talk about five in the next episode, but. Yeah. For me. Which is also 3D. Yes. And that's what I want to talk about because in this one, I couldn't even remember when we were talking about it earlier that it was in 3D. And then as I started remembering. Yeah. Because obviously when we're watching it at home, we don't have, we don't get to see it in 3D. <laughs> that's And so I had to, re- that's true. I had to remember the stuff that I was seeing, you know, I had to go back and look at my notes. And I, but, I, but the, 
Yeah. This movie feels like it's right a product of its time, Absolutely. 2009, where they, they might have even said after the fact, hey, let's add some 3D. You know, I, I think they did that with Clash of the Titans, where they didn't really film it in 3D and then converted it. And it had that feeling, whereas the fifth one feels much more purposeful. And I got to tell you, I fucking hate 3D. Me too, yeah. But when I was, when I was watching... Yeah, but, I, I, but when I was watching five, I thought, "Oh, I might have enjoyed this in 3D." I I 100% agree with you. I think it's like this feels, you know, this feels like, uh, painting before perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels it feels like you you know you I don't know I mean it's 3D's been around since the 50s, but I guess I guess using it for digital cinema is a very new idea. Mm-hmm. So you're at. You know, this is 2009, right at that stage when we have 3D, but we don't know how to use it. And I feel like Final Destination 5 is is subtler, more nuanced in its use of, of 3D. Just, you know, just knows how to incorporate it better. Uh, no, yeah, I think it's more they know how to incorporate it better. Yeah, I mean, there's still it's the same shtick of things are flying at the screen at you. Because that's really all you can do with 3D, which is one of the right. biggest problems of it, is it all involves something coming towards you. Like, you... But the manner in which they choose to do it in that movie is better. Yeah. The, I, I completely know, A woman agree. falling off the bridge and hitting the sail of a boat. Yeah. And that, you know, that point goes through her into our face. That's so much better than anything you see in this movie. I, I agree. And yeah, I think if, it, if I certainly have big questions with this movie about how certain aspects of the movie would have worked in 3d because it's Mm -hmm. actually it's actually very can i i once i realized this movie was shot in 3d i had a lot of questions about but how would that have ever worked in 3d that was my overriding feeling whereas with final destination 5 i was like well this i could see how 3d would enhance one or two moments but it's perfectly fine without it Whereas, I mean, once once we get, we're skipping way ahead, but this is the moment that's coming to mind. And this is a question that it, it might turn out to be a, if a tree falls in the wood style Zen question for the <laughs> right. 3D generation. But let me ask it anyway. Would the movie screen still be blurry in 3D? That, yes, that's one of my notes. <laughs> I honestly like every time I th- I, time I, I thought it was this out loud. I go into yeah. like a meditative state. I just oh I don't because it's it's because so you know basically <laughs> for the for the for the listener there is a a scene in this movie which is a kind of a ripoff of Scream Two where uh, the characters right. are watching uh, in a movie theater watching a three D. They're watching Love Lays Dying. Right, that's right. That's the title of the movie. And the image on the screen appears blurred as if we're seeing it not with 3D glasses on because the characters are, are watching with 3D glasses right. on. But if we were to watch this movie in 3D, what the fuck would be on the screen? Yeah, exactly. Would it be blurry or not? That's all I want to know. So for this reason <laughs> and more, I think I think there's a, there is definitely a sense. I don't know if it was retrofitted or not. It seems to be... I'll give it this. It's certainly through a discussion of 3D cinema is certainly built into the screenplay, which makes me think that maybe they they always planned it to be in 3D and for it to be a kind of commercial for 3D. 
but because mm. they talk about it so much to the point, and that's what tipped me off eventually that this was. I thought I should check if this was a three D movie or not because they are talking <laughs> a lot about three D cinema in a movie which <laughs> right. is about the Grim Reaper. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and indeed it was. So I think they they wanted this to be a kind of showcase for three D cinema, but it certainly it it confuses um the idea of what 3d is absolutely yeah it muddies the waters rather than making people think i want to go back and see another one of these i would i would have just left thinking this doesn't quite work conceptually yeah 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 i agree uh all right so so (laughs) so there's that (laughs) so this movie is, is is technologically a misnomer Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, while we're talking about special effects, I or the lack thereof, or the lack thereof. Um, and again, I feel it's the same thing. It's sort of like by 2011, I don't know what happened in those years, but we seem filmmakers seem to have learned how to incorporate CGI into the film without it looking like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Or you know, like a, a like a, a mixed cartoon, rea- you know, like a mixed live action cartoon, which is what it looks like when it's used here. It does, yeah, absolutely. The fire, and I, anytime there's fire, <laughs> anytime you know, you're just you kind of, I don't know, your 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 you know head goes into your palm, and you just go, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, this may be the peak of bad CGI fire in cinema. Yeah. Um, but I, I was willing to give it a pass up to a point because the the most egregious um, CGI, like the most artificial looking CGI, was all in dream sequences. Mm-hmm. Because the main character's premonitions right. now come to him. They're in always right. Yeah, and I kind of thought, well, that's another thing that's different about this movie. <laughs> this idea of yeah, it's a the stupid repeated, idea. <laughs> the repeated premonition. <laughs> Where every death will be coming to him in a vision now, and that's that. That's what makes separates this movie from all the others narratively, I guess. Oh, I agree. Um, so I was willing to give it a pass, but the problem is he woke up and said it all seems so real, and I'm yeah. like, oh fuck you. <laughs> I was on your uh, side. I was willing to like pass this off as like. You know, it is literally fantasy, so it doesn't need to look real. And then you're going mm-hmm. around saying that it, how vivid, vivid it was. Fuck you. Yeah. Now you, now you're giving me this shit. It is. It did not. <laughs> it did not look like. It did not look like anything that would bother you emotionally. You would never be caught right. into thinking any of that was real. It did not look real. So. That's a bald-faced lie. Yeah. So anyway, that's so, you know, th- this movie is always, the the good of this movie is always stacked against a very, uh, uh, a very flawed use of both 3D and CGI, which... And racism. <laughs> and sexism. And yeah, <laughs> the list goes on. The list goes on, yeah. I'll say this for the movie, though, like, uh, you know, the racist died early on. Well, yeah, and you know, it, it's that this is this is where you know at, at, at times I'm willing to give it a pass because I see and especially knowing it's David R. Ellis and knowing you know that that how adept 
he is as a director of of comedy and irony. I, I, well, I, I by want... the way, you and I are working on, uh, you know, we, we've come up with this thesis that's not proven yet. <laughs> well, <absolutely. laughs> this is just what this is just what we believe in our heart of hearts yeah. based on number two. Well, what we think is, about David is, again, R. Ellis. This is, this is like <laughs> this is like, you know, a, a, a presidential or a vice presidential debate where we're we're talking about truths, the source of which are, is only us. <laughs> talking about it before this but that's okay uh because because that's what this podcast is about but yeah. um yeah but i mean i it just there's the very few things i can speak up for i think that there's a salon sequence about midway through the movie where i think we get a lot of good pacing and editing and timing it's very nicely done it feels like it should be yeah. one of the other movies is what i'm saying and it stands out in that sense. Yeah. It stands out because it, like you said, it has the pacing of which you're you're kind of waiting for bated breath, with bated breath for the terrible thing that you know is going to happen. And you keep thinking it's going to happen and it doesn't. You know what I mean? It kind of carries you along on, on top of the wave in a way that that does work well. And it's a, a nice angle to, you know, that you... There's always got to be like a, a, and we we start to see this as the series goes on. There's like a gateway idiot that death <laughs> works through, like someone who is either just the clumsiest, most unsafe person alive, or right. is like dangerously incompetent at what they're trying to do. And here we have, you know, the piece of shit tampon mom, yeah, uh, who you know just lets her children run riot. So again, there's every chance that that this could end in mass death. Well, because they ultimately are responsible for her death because they're the ones that were throwing the rocks at the lawnmower guy and his signs that he was mowing around. And it's those rocks that the lawnmower ran over and kicked out that, you know, went through her eye socket. (laughs) This is is what I mean about, you know, this... It is an unanswered question, even at the end of Final Destination 5. How much can these deaths be explained behaviorally? Right. Yeah. <laughs> how much can this person's character play for the into fact that all these yeah. people die? Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's. Uh... <sighs> Where do you want to go? Well, I I get the, first, the 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 next thought I had was look, all of these movies save the second one. I knew you know the bulk of the cast are all people you don't know. Right. Right? But this one to me seems to have beyond McKelty Williamson who's great. Yeah. The weakest actors. And I think that hurts this movie, too. It does. I mean, they're very, very forgettable, certainly. The mm-hmm. only, I mean, I at some point I became interested in the character of Hunt. Uh, who... Who's that? <laughs> he's, he's the... He's... His his name is, is a rhyme for what he is. <laughs> Replace the H with a C. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say. Yeah, he he's just he's the jerk. He basically like he's the he's worst. blonde jerk. Yeah, uh, is he? I can't remember. If he's blonde. He definitely has some kind of spiky hair. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, 
So he he, he de- death by butt draining, right? Exactly. Yeah. And he's uh, I think he's very well played for the character he's playing. It, it, it's but what struck me about him is it it almost made our job meaningless because his mm-hmm. function in the movie is to offer snarky retorts to the things people say. Which is our job. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this podcast is for. We're literally, you know, we're, we're literally useless. Because this guy, you know, he says something snarky about every plot point that someone brings up. Right. Um, Not just that, but I, you know, one of my favorite lines to hate in this movie is when his best friend, and I don't know why he would be friends, why these people are friends with him at all. Because the woman he's with at the racetrack is his ex-girlfriend. Right. And his best friend clearly has nothing in common with him. So I don't know why this guy is even allowed to hang out with their group. But at one point, his best friend says, I mean, can't you just, do you ever think about being sensitive? And he says, I don't know. I never tried. Yeah. (laughs) It was, he's kind of delightfully, a delightfully awful human being. And I think the big biggest problem here is, you know, if the rest of the cast was stronger, you'd want him to die first. But I just wanted him to live longest because he was the most interesting. Oh, I don't know. I find him the least interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, intro. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, he is—he's a poor version of Isaac in Final Destination Five. They do that character much better in the next time round. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I agree. I, I like the fact that he was, you know, snarkily undoing the more ludicrous aspects of the plot here with his All right. with his comments, and it made it very difficult for for me to think of snarky things to say about this movie because he says them all in because he says them all um, well you've got a point there ladies and gentlemen we're talking about final de- or the final destination we're going to take one more break and when we come back we'll finish up talking about the least successful of the final destination stay tuned <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we are back again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I talking about the final destination, our least favorite of the destination movies. (laughs) Oh, man. Well... You know, we've been talking about political topics. We've been, you know, we've been kind of chewing around the fat of this movie. Yeah. Let's talk about 
the shit that actually happens. Uh, you know, what's your favorite death scene? We've got a racist being burned. We've got, yeah. you know, rocks through eyes of shitty moms. Mm. The the auto mechanic gets pushed through a fence, which I'm sure they thought was the most delightful piece of 3D filmmaking they were probably doing. <laughs> they went full uh, quick in the dead on that one. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably, the, probably the anvil, um, the, the, the tire that sounds like an anvil mm-hmm. that crushes that woman. Uh, I like that a lot. Just because, it, you know, it, it was suitably you know it was like suitably cartoonish and slapstick well yeah i've I'll, i've said it before and i'll say it again everybody in these movies dies like wily e. coyote yeah <laughs> you know yeah. um so that's the but yeah the definitely the 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 deaths in the salon scene are very not, are very well executed those are well executed the most absurd one that probably is also strangely the most gleeful though is this guy, you know, blonde asshole dying in the pool to me is hysterically stupid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just, first of all, is there such a thing as a, a, a lever on the side of your pool that says drain? Can pools just, like, can you just flip a switch and drain a pool? I, I, you know, you've already made the, I, I don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't think they've thought beyond the Acme yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the Acme version of this swimming pool that you know that you would have in a Roadrunner cartoon. So essentially, listeners, if you haven't seen the movie, what happens is this blonde asshole, first of all, through his own happenstance, some kid squirts him with a water gun in the pool. So this shorts out his phone so he can't get the message from his friend telling him don't go near water. And then he pops the kid's life raft to get the gun, throws it over a fence and hits a lever that says drain pool <laughs> and yeah. then manages to fall in said pool and his butt gets sucked down <laughs> to to uh, the, you know, the plug. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I guess it just turns him inside out, just sucks yeah. him through the drain. And it's hysterically dumb. I, I, it you is, know. yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I found a lot, I found a lot of the deaths disappointing. We got a lot of the same the same old kind of shtick mm-hmm. this is the first time it started to kind of wear you know wear on me yeah i that agree de- the death was using the same three pieces of equipment to kill everyone right um there wasn't a great deal of variation and i i just felt you know a lot of a lot of the the moments that were meant to be spectacular and in in final destination 2 that really the movie really pulls off these moments the whole 3d movie theater explosion that you see multiple times oh so many times so you see it so many times and i guess in their head they're thinking it ramps up the stakes because you see it again and again and again but it's actually the opposite it's like diminishing returns every time you see it right and let me ask you this because we've talked already about how your lead character brunette guy Mm. is having premonitions throughout the whole movie yeah and we talked in 48 hours about the triple bluff this movie has the biggest (laughs) double bluff i've ever seen in my life and that's part of the reason we're seeing this goddamn movie theater 73 times (laughs) you know what i mean 
Yeah, it's, yeah. So we have a huge second premonition, like the cold opens of all the movies that happens again at the end of this movie. What what's your you know, works well, or doesn't work for you? It it doesn't work, and yet in principle it it should work. And I think when we talk about uh, the the final movie in the series, we'll see an example of it that definitely does work, which is also a triple bluff. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely it's definitely where the series should be going to keep the keep the audience on its toes. Yeah, it's funny but, that but you say it's that. Just, it's it's we're, we're kind of like we're not every time you sort of. You're, you're sort of triple bluffing, you know, and I know gymnasts in the next film, but I'm going to use like a gymnastic comparison. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a triple bluff that ends on a bluff. Right. It doesn't end on anything that we've not seen. Right. Right. It's just an example for like doubling the amount of gore or tripling the amount of gore, really. Yeah. And I it's funny because I feel exactly like you do that. This is the place that the where the series should go. Yeah. And yet I just found it tiresome. It just wasn't executed well. And, I think you again, know what I think I it think... was for me more than anything was in the first in the premonition for this last scene. Yeah. He and his girlfriend are trying to escape and they're on that escalator and he's holding on to her. Yeah. And her legs start getting caught in the machinations of the you know it starts chewing her up and she's spitting up blood which gets on her arm which means he can't hold her anymore and she falls in right and i remember thinking holy shit like if this guy survives you know that's a terrible place that's a terrible thing for him to have to remember for the rest of his life mm-hmm. and it so dramatically that was working for me and then all of a sudden it cut out and that's the moment where we start the whole scene over again and i thought oh yeah, because because the the problem the problem with it is it, it's it's anti you know like it's it's you're you're just sort of deferring the moment you're not you're not doing anything to up the ante you're just you're just sort of putting off the inevitable right and I think Final Destination five five you know it by this point in the series we realize that you know we know the score. Mm-hmm. We know what's going to happen. We even we've even seen double premonitions before, so yeah. that's not going to impress us. So it's like, where do you go from there? And this movie's answer is is like, we just do it all over again. Mm-hmm. That's the trick. That's the limit of it. Where I mean, we'll talk about it in the next episode, but we have something in Final Destination Five, which to me is genuinely surprising. But it's not. Ju- but it's like actually, it's a twist in that you know it's it it's trying to. It's like a bait and switch, whereas this is just like, it's yeah. just like you know, giving them, giving the audience the bait and then pulling it back and then giving it to them again and yeah, it back. <laughs> right, right. Basically, uh, it doesn't. And you, you're absolutely right. Like you know, the the it just undoes all the interesting stuff that happened. That happened, right? It's a reset, and that's not that is not very satisfying. Um. Because yeah, I remember I said that the the sort of the meta explosion in the three D movie theater, right? It should, and I think in Scream Two it does. It does like it doubles the the anxiety and it doubles the stakes. The fact that you know you have this fictional representation of what you're seeing going on at the same time, 
as, as the real th- as yeah. the real thing. Like in, in Wes Craven's hands, that really works. That works. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But <laughs> but, but here it doesn't do any, it doesn't do anything except you know uh, I guess complicate things in a way that's not very satisfying. I just wa- I wonder if they're at the point where it's like 3D is such an incredible thing. They're still in that mindset of people are going to be so wowed by 3D that they're not going to know what they're looking at and their mind is going to be blown. Right. But, you know, I don't think that was true, but I think that's what they're thinking. And so they're not thinking about the finer points of, yeah, but if you take 3D out of this equation... Do you have anything? Do you have anything? And the answer <laughs> yeah, is death. right. The answer is just more of the same. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and say from a writing standpoint, because we've talked about this before in this series, we talked about a like how long it takes for everybody to talk about the previous movies, <laughs> and in this yeah. movie, it's forty minutes in to a movie that's only eighty-two fucking minutes long. By the way, <laughs> but... I actually, I, I kind of, um, I kind of like the the brevity of it. Um, yeah, they, they get. I feel like they got comfortable with the, You know, it's they replaced Tony Todd with a with internet printouts. Uh, yeah, again. And they kind of right. they, they they keep they keep the exposition to a minimum. They keep the movie moving. Hunt. It's the point where Hunt is saying all these sarcastic things about the movie's mythology and how it doesn't make sense. So I kind of like I like the way that is handled. It doesn't it doesn't weigh down the movie. Yeah, but the other thing that happens in these movies that we've talked about was how long it takes the characters to believe. And I think this is the movie where it's the least successful. Like in three, it was really successful that the the jock was, you know, not believing. But the, the other thing is, is like usually what happens is all those people die within a matter of seconds to a couple of minutes of somebody trying to convince them, you're in a lot of trouble. You need to believe me, right? Yeah. And in this movie, the the main girl's best friend, the brunette, she almost gets decapitated in a car wash after being saved at, at a NASCAR race. So that's twice yeah. where premonitions have saved her life. And when they're at the movie theater at the end, she's like, I've got a bad feeling. We got to get out of here. She goes, oh, come on. Yeah. And I just think, you know, your life's been saved twice. You might want to buy in at this fucking point. I, uh, the character is uh, called Gina, I believe. And at one point, I felt like she was in her own little episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> she's talking to homeless guys. She's getting stuck in a car wash. I mean, all you need is the da 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 And, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're there. Basically. Well, you almost have that exact feeling between her giving change to that homeless man on the street and then the last scene in the movie where yeah. he's like, the homeless man reappears and he says, you're the guy who saved all those people at that movie theater, huh? He's got, he just bought a cup of coffee <laughs> and he walks out the door and she's got a quizzical kind of, where do I know that guy from? Look on her face, you know? Which again is, you know, something they just, did, they did in Final Destination too. the same thing. It's like, oh, it was staring us in the face the whole time. This incidental character. Yeah. Who we barely notice. Um, is holds the key to the mystery, and he comes back in the final scene, and we go, oh, you yeah, know, it was, we were looking for, we were looking for the clues in the wrong place, although we see a lot of coins, rolling around, 
Yeah, all the time. And I, so I'm thinking, well, we should have probably picked up on that. But I think it's hilarious how they they usual suspects the shit out of that reveal. <laughs> In the coffee shop, they're kind of like we have like don't we have like a montage of of all the things, all the clues. Yeah, sort of. It's like a repeat of an earlier scene where he's. Oh, he looks. That's it. He looks around the montage. He looks around the room, and everything they they realize from everything that's in this room now was in a in the coffee shop. Now was in the premonition before. Right. They just got it wrong. Yeah. Um, And it's got a very kind of uh, Kaiser Soze, Dan Hedaya looking at the notice board feel about it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. So. Uh, and then followed by, uh, you know, the X-rays are back. The X-rays come back for the end of the movie, <laughs> showing how how these three poor suckers die. It's just, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's so the, the, again, yeah. it's still it's kind of delightfully stupid, you know. Yeah, and we, you know, taking it all the way back to Jaws 3D again, we've got pieces of skeleton flying at us. Mm-hmm. Is part is is something I don't know if that was a if that was a like a I, I I'm willing to believe that was a uh, a deliberate homage to uh, the shark skull and you George think so? Judy. That's hysterical. Well, knowing that because it's David, knowing that it's David R. Ellis and knowing pro, you know, like I, I think, but it's again, it's <laughs> it, it, this this movie has a has a has a an alarmingly strong record at doubling down on bad ideas. Yes, yes. <laughs> and having an uh, uh, an X-ray based credit sequence at the beginning and the end of the film. <laughs> there's no better example. I yeah, I tell you what I'm enjoying more than anything, just how much you are building up David R. Ellis in your mind <laughs> as the really, the well, genius of this series. It's. I mean, it's it's fast. It's fascinating that from Final Destination two to what I will call Final Destination four, even though that's not the title. Right. Um, we basically it's 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 an argument between two directors for the for the yeah for the, for, for the for, tone for of a these vision, a right. vision of the series. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but up until this point, both have kind of both have kind of made their cases. Uh, and are almost, you know, on a par. I think for that, for the that both these visions of what this series should be works. But here, I think, you know, it's just disappointing that Ellis drops the ball. Really, right? If he on... had not dropped the ball on this movie so hard, I would call him the definitive champion. But you know what? We haven't talked about, and I guess we can't talk about it because you haven't seen the original film. But. But um, we, can st- we can still talk about it. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, I think all the sequels except this one are better than the original, too. Well, that's definitely the impression I get. Yeah. I, I feel like it's partly about how formula-driven these movies are. But I really I don't get the sense that I'm missing anything significant that hasn't been covered in the sequels. Mm-hmm. 
and I think you know I've alluded to this before as well. Like the the material suits a sequel better than it might suit an yeah the the first film in a series yeah because it it's an inherently sequely idea to follow the survivor of a tragedy into the next phase of their story being followed by death itself right yeah as so, represented again by cold wind and you know. because it's like you know i can imagine having not seen final destination that but that that kind of early section of the movie pre-accident is almost its own movie because everything yeah. after that changes and it's all about the aftermath like all these movies are about the aftermath of something right so probably you know they they work better as 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 stories that are sequels although as you as you quite rightly put it out they don't exploit that by right. having the, they having continuing characters <laughs> they ki- they kill off you know apart from bloodworth they uh who i don't think they planned on bringing back at any point even right. though they did but they um, did right <laughs> <laughs> when when you know when ali garda gets it from the weird hookman oh and speaking of the prosthetics collector there's another there's another character in this that i and this that was fi- same that was final destination 2 with the the guy who has a box full of prosthetic arms yeah and we made the point then that you know you don't need to do anything with that for it to be any more Creepy. scary. Yeah, it's, right. It's all you know. The fact that this guy exists is the thing. Is that's the scary thing that's it. frightening. The toy demonstrator at the mall in this movie, <laughs> who is flying those planes around. Yeah. <laughs> I would not let that guy within. I don't know. I don't know how much distance of my child. Right. <laughs> Your Honor, I'd like a uh, seventeen state. Yeah, and he cu- I, and that that counts for his remote control plane as well. As well, yeah. Completely. I don't want that. <laughs> That's part of the problem. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> Tom wants that guy the fuck away from his child. This is it for the final destination, the two thousand nine film. I don't have anything else to say about this movie, Tom. You? No. Uh... Not really. I, I just just the line that almost saves this movie, uh, the, with the actor who almost saves this movie, um, McKelty Williamson. Thank you. Um, <laughs> at one point he says, "I've been trying to kill myself all day." Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I think. I imagine him trying to say that as the actor too. Like, I just want to get the fuck out of this movie. It's kind of undone by the fact he, he's so irritated by the fact that he's put so much effort into trying to kill himself, but because the uh, because the order of of death is so rigid, you can't jump the line. Heard. Um, but then later on in the movie, when he finds out that he's next in line, he says, "Oh, great, man." Like what? The, you can't do both. Yeah. Isn't this a relief to you now? You've been trying to. What did you think was going to happen all those times you were trying to kill yourself? <laughs> but anyway, but that line, that line, I think is great, and I wish there was more of that in the movie. Agreed. We'll leave it there. Thank you for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. I'm Mike Shantz from the How Dare You Awards. 
Coming up next, everybody, Final Days Destination 5, the true Final Destination. <laughs> we'll see you then. Bye, Tom. See you in five. <laughs>